0: Good afternoon on a sunny day in Hilliard. You don't get sunny days in Central Ohio. Everything. It's delightful. A
1: delightful Thursday. Welcome in everyone to the Hilliard Beacon. I am Jordan Smith, I'm joined as usual by Kevin Corvo? and and Tim Hoffman,
2: the guy.
1: That other guy. Uh, We're here today, uh, as usual, during the week, to go through some of the reporting that we've done over the the course of, well, honestly, the last several weeks. This is a bit of a culmination, a penultimate chapter, a conclusion of sorts, a stopping point uh, to the uh, fishing scandal, the saga that kicked off our little publication here, essentially. It did. It was our first... Uh, Article, I do believe and I link back to one of them uh, here in the text body of the column this week and I think it shows the power of local reporting. I think it proves a good portion of the mission we're here to do and I wanted to say that putting that link in there was fun for me Kevin. I really like doing it. Good, thanks. Awesome. Uh, Yeah, so let's get right into it. Uh, We called this one Sound and Fury. This is essentially a nod to uh, the Macbeth quote, which is immediately followed by signifying nothing. (laughs) And I am forced to conclude at the end of a really, if people haven't seen it or people didn't go, there were a lot of people in attendance and it's been recorded and it's out there. Uh, you can find it on YouTube, and maybe we'll send out a small note through Substack to provide a link to the official uh, council recording. But it was—it got pretty spicy in there.
0: Kevin, you were—you
1: were watching. You were there. Tell I us a little bit about what went on. Tell us the, about uh, the, the setup.
0: The YouTube link would be interesting uh, mm. because typically in my reporting, um, I do not describe what happened sometimes because that sometimes gets into my interpretation and some subjectivity, but the audience was pretty vocal. I mean, they, they thought city council as elected officials. It was incumbent upon them to, to seek that inquiry, um, and, to and to have another, a different look at this, um, and the city council chose not to do that. Um, so they, they showed their frustration with that and they were, they showed their frustration in particular with one member of council, as well that you would see if you watched the video, but uh, ultimately they decided not to take their own look at it, um, and, and, and there was it was a four to three vote, and the proponent and the opponent uh, of the inquiry of the council initiative to ask for a council-based inquiry and were pretty clear um, in and why they thought it should or shouldn't happen. Yeah, yeah. but as you pointed out, short of um, short of David Delandy filing a complaint of some sort, um, this would. This, this would end it um, so well I think it comes down
1: in a lot of ways to a similar situation uh, that councils confronted with when it comes to planning and zoning decisions in a lot of scenarios you set up a situation wherein you've empowered a director of your city's administration in the form of a city manager to conduct operations to hold people to account of certain standards that are admittedly in it comes up in this uh, article a few times. It seems like, even several years on, certain key critical backstops I guess I'm struggling for a word to describe it but back end elements like infrastructure elements of the administration were still struggling to put these things in place because they're talking about not having written policies as recently as 2020. You know, Schneider Downs audit exposing some of the stuff going back. A decade or more in Hilliard now to pool theft and things that real, um, you know, mm-hmm. people that have been around watching these things for a while can can talk a little bit more about or can we can discuss a little bit more. The pool theft
0: for the listeners was a former yeah. deputy director who uh, was uh, pleaded guilty to um, several counts in relation to that and uh, was sentenced to um, a short uh, jail term for it. And it was found that the city. Uh, according to that audit, uh, really was did not have current up to spec safeguards for that sort of thing, you know, which allowed for um, the theft of cash over a lengthy period of time. Uh, it was from the uh, people would pay cash. Non non members would just pay the five dollar, ten dollar daily. It was a fee. real
1: old school,
0: right? Uh, <laughs> um, that was just a policy that <laughs> skimming off the till at the double boost right. kind of thing. Yeah, um, so I mean a classic of at least five hundred thousand yeah. so dollars. it's a classic and, scam. I mean, um, so that audit called to attention um, you need to have some pretty modern safeguards in here to prevent this kind of thing mm. and um i have not mentioned the deputy director um in my coverage but this is yet again another example um uh, of something that happened that uh is background for a similar well not a similar but but another financial um, problem and theft from the city so several members have have mentioned her heather ernst um uh, Looking back at that and saying, "How come this still happened yet again?" So right. that's that's been that's been called into called into attention has been called to that right. again.
2: And of the phishing scam was a very different pilferage than the than the poor yeah. cash skimming thing. And again, it's like, okay, you close that barn door. Mm-hmm. Are we closing this other barn door after uh, other various mm-hmm. sheep have trotted off?
1: Well, just the sense that you know That the barn door was open As late as 2019 They said lacking sufficient Financial controls in several Key areas through City government, you know it's It comes down to how quickly Things can be pursued Under whose aegis. You know, all these things get done uh, Director Delandy Remarked that uh, City manager Crandall Has some kind of a specific style and that by choosing to interpret some kind of management style here uh, that is essentially the principal excuse right? right so you're kind of just left with this idea that okay so uh, all that talk and all that money we spent on auditors and all that focus we delivered after an embarrassing theft of like taking five dollars out at a time to the tune of half a million dollars at least <laughs>
2: how many times is that that's a, yeah, lot. That's that's a lot, lot of, lot of times that's a hundred thousand times
1: but uh you know it's no less <laughs> but I'll do math that's why I'm a writer <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's why we stick to the written words. thank <laughs> yeah, you did that. I did that math in under
2: 20 seconds <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: I, I think just ultimately it comes back around again to um, talk a little bit about, you know, in Marsh's suggestion that they not take it up. And eventually that came down to four to three. Uh, it did. And, you know, people can say what they want about getting rid of R's and D's in front of uh, distinctions and things. But I think it's, there's, there. it's still there. It's there. Was that the divide? It wasn't 100% the divide. Okay. No. Because the person in dissent of proceeding with an inquiry is actually a Republican or listed as Republican on the uh, b- ballots, uh, ran as a Republican. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I think Marsh is taking a complete interpretation of the totality of what is shaping up in this city government.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, Omar Tarazi and Les... We're doing the questioning thing. We owe people answers. We owe people answers. We owe people answers.
0: Correct. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So Omar and um, Omar and uh, Les Carrier voted in favor of it, along with Peggy Hill. But Pete Marsh was very clear um, uh, toward the end of the discussion. Uh, he went so far as to say, "Hey, this isn't even about Dave Delandy. This is about." certain members of council who who are using him to get to our city manager and that brought a reaction from the audience Um, but yeah that that was Pete's that was Pete's stance Um, and other than that it was also um, his stance that hey this isn't this isn't even we shouldn't be having this discussion in open council chambers Right, um, city council waive attorney-client privilege to allow that to continue. Pretty extraordinary. Uh, and How that many is extraordinary. times that happened? I can't think. Th- I can't think of a time that it happened. Yeah. Uh, because journalists, of course, are very in tune to Ohio sunshine laws. Mm-hmm. You have to have these meetings in public. There are very few exceptions to sunshine laws. Uh, right. One of them is attorney-client privilege for obvious reasons. Right. Another yeah. one is the discussions. That are part of hiring, firing, and disciplining city employees, and they usually put all that stuff mm-hmm. in executive session. Well, Those are all executive session. Hmm. Now the decision to fire somebody is a public decision. You announce the firing or you announce the hiring, but the discussions that led to getting there are part of executive sessions and are closed meetings. Sure. So um, there was lots of so waving this- that right in front
1: of a full audience, and you know, just <laughs> going head into it. I right. I feel that that may have been a true rubber meets the road moment in the debate between do we do we still do things showy like that felt circusy to me like all this i don't know it sounds like it definitely took that direction anyway yeah and people's emotions get so developed in these dire circumstances again as we're discussing here this is essentially the last gasp of any discussion regarding these things. So, you know, everything's turned up to 11 and people are feeling every bit of it on every side of this issue because these are careers, 30 years of service, you know, all this rolls into it. I would be lying if I didn't feel like that tug of Kevin's career got yanked out from under him 24 years into it. But the same thing is, it's like, there is no wrongdoing. There is no impropriety on your part. You are simply in a position and history is happening around you the thing that was ultimately the deciding factor in the in this delandi issue i believe is that time window i mean we talk about it regularly you know from the time it was discovered Mm -hmm. to the steps taken in the initial stages uh Including initial... Oh, proper documentation wasn't required. Wasn't acquired. Right from the start. Right from the start. Right. That's and then the trail of... As is termed in these reports and in the investigation not investigative stages... Non-reporting. These continuing non-reporting... It almost felt to me like watching dominoes fall.
2: Mm.
1: You know, you retreat from uh, being notified that something happened... To not telling anyone... retreat from that position to thinking you have it handled to having to file a police report still not telling anyone still not pursuing any kind of within the administration guidance you know direction anything i mean i've been doing my job for a long time too Mm -hmm. and sometimes that leads to feeling very comfortable with making big decisions and You know, you don't get to be director of a city department or whatever, especially finance, without being comfortable with making decisions. But at the same time, this pattern of decision making in that time window, to me, was all the grounds required given these new terms of professionalism that Mm -hmm. everyone says they've been seeking since hiring the city manager.
2: Right. Mm -hmm. And so so six or seven years ago, this might have happened, and the way it unfolded might have passed muster. Might have been okay. Maybe the... Maybe... I th- That is one of the only explanations that I can come up with for why someone... Ch- why the decision was made to not make those notifications. Mm. You know, before mm. the onset of the mm. professionalization of the mm. city government, maybe that thing... M- maybe that would have not have ended up in DeLande you know being relieved of his duties right
1: or maybe under a previous operating system he was a real buck stops in any matter of finance at him mm-hmm. because the person he was reporting to was not charged with the same professional responsibilities that a city manager is right, right? sure that person is instead someone who is also being like fix it, fix it, Dave, fix it, fix it for me. I need your help. We need to figure this out. Dave, Dave, Dave. In this new reality, <laughs> as you saw, right. all this got handled by insurance to a degree, right? Right. But in this new reality, if you want to have things not get to that point, you got to follow the chain of command, as they say, and, and function in your public service role uh, that you've been hired to function in. And that means... There's a direct report tree, <laughs>
0: right. and
1: they, you know they're in there. And city manager, I've seen them. I've seen those trees. City manager is up here, and mm-hmm. uh, directors are below that, mm-hmm. and city council people are right there in that mix. And that's mm-hmm. what makes last uh, Monday's meeting the more extraordinary because mm-hmm. people were really coming down off of the, <laughs> off of the professionalism mountain. Mm-hmm to get into the the emotions of firing a long-time employee over professional concerns. So, you know, this is the hack and burn of city governance. And I'm happy that, Kevin, you were there to Mm -hmm. cover it. I'm happy that City of Hilliard's made substantial investments and upgrades to record and archive that stuff. And I'm happy that we got to write follow-up pieces on it and talk about it today.
0: Something I did not include in the story um, that I'll share here is... um there was a subsequent vote as to whether or not to make a motion that city council did not think that Michelle Crandall handled the termination properly. A vote of no confidence? Omar didn't call it that. Um, uh, uh, It was his motion. I should go back and watch the the YouTube video, but his motion was to make a declaratory statement that council didn't think that it was handled properly. Um, well, you
1: it, lost that vote 4-3. to three uh, That vote, I don't... About handling things. Well, I don't know what the
0: vote was on that, but... Um, I don't know what the vote was on oh, that. Oh,
1: I just assumed it was along the same lines
0: it's, that they had lost the previous vote. I votes. better check my notes. Uh, but, we'll have to look but, into it. Uh, Pete Marsh also made it clear um, that, hey, we have a city manager. It's your job to hire and fire directors. Mm-hmm. Not our job. He said, stay in your lane. So he went on to say that, you know, I don't know if it was... Right or wrong decision, that's Michelle's decision. I stand by it, and that's where he left it. Uh, so that was uh, an early indicator of, to me, that was an indicator of where, where city council, where where each individual city council member considers their relationship with the city manager. Mm. The city manager serves at the pleasure of city council. Right. She has a contract. So uh, if they feel that she's not doing what they want her to do then they could bring pressure to bear by not renewing the contract right this goes back to when we you know f- 4 years ago when we had the vote to change to a city manager form of government in the first place right. because the argument, the argument the the argument against that is hey if you have a strong mayor and the mayor is elected the mayor can do what he wants to do or she wants to do right uh, with I mean, city council has nothing whatsoever to do with it. Now you've given city council arguably a little more power because they can perhaps you know, lean more on a city manager mm. to do something. Uh, so, uh,
1: like enforce <clears throat> fireable, good. correct? Uh, so dive rails for if, fireable infractions. Fire yes, if
0: any city council, uh, and I'll say it this way: if any city council that where there is a city manager and that city council thought the city manager was just outrageous with. Firings and all that—they would just not renew the contract, right? So let,
1: let the <clears throat> let the contract fix the glitch, as uh, it was. Yes, and, sure. You know, that's go along inc- with our lives.
2: That's interesting. That's an interesting dynamic that I don't think a lot of people understand, and that is why I think it's important we're doing what we're doing because um, we are able to cover this stuff mm-hmm. pretty thoroughly with the lens that we're watching Hilliard go through these growing pains. We're experiencing and talking about and helping people understand these changes as they're happening. And I don't think that coverage, I don't think that coverage existed before we started doing it. No,
0: you're right. When the vote failed uh, four to three to, to, um, uh, to launch the investigation, Omar made his motion it was a five-to-two vote. Uh, not uh, Went the other way even uh, harder. So, right. Um, it was a five-to-two vote. Uh, Omar made the motion to issue a statement uh, that, the, that the city council felt that the termination of David Landy wasn't handled properly. That failed two-to-five. Um, okay. So the only two who voted in favor was Omar and Les, it looks like.
2: Right. us Carrier. Yeah. Okay. Um, Les has been on city council for how long? He's, he's in one his of the longer second tenured term.
1: Guys, we can pull up uh, some of these documents. I think he's been there for eight years or so. I think he's on his third go around. But I hasten to add to all you deals. know it was a
0: four to three vote i'm looking at my notes here again i think peggy Hill voted um i had to go back and listen to the meeting okay so.
1: well i, I mean we make three. no On claims about that in the story so uh, if people are interested in those details they can certainly dig deeper into those uh things and i'd be happy to like i said there's all these new functions rolling out in substack to basically try to torpedo twitter so uh there's some new tools that we can used to let people know about certain things so we can put out links or story refreshers or reminders or special notifications now so i'm trying to balance the idea of not wanting to flood people's email with uh, these things and putting things out regularly so
2: right. and there is the there is you know the new option on substack to to have discussions around these things.
1: Yeah, an which, honest chat room instead, of, or essentially a board, basically where you're comment threading or whatever. Right. Which is, I'm I'm reticent to. Dip, <laughs> yeah, I have not reticent enabled to dip my toe into that. I have not enabled chat yet, but I have uh, turned comments on, uh, full public for this one. So please, if you're out there and you're interested, check us out at uh, HilliardBeacon.substack.com, and you can find links to all our past stories, past audio companions, which we are doing right now where we discuss stories uh, that we've done and other things happening around the city. And you can also uh, sign up for, in the future, behind the paywall pieces, where we'll be doing things that are a little more long-form or personal or specifically focused on things that have been long-standing issues in the city, a uh, series of articles, something like that. So look forward to that stuff as we develop the focus of uh, the Hilliard Beacon and uh, the use of the Substack tool. I'm not.
2: I'm not rolling
1: video. Okay. Okay. I don't want to have to no sync. No sync necessary. So now let's turn to the impending, immediate, right on top of this Republican
0: primary. We have an election in five days. Uh, there is a Republican primary for city council. I should have been on top of that. So I should have probably called some of them and maybe already had a story in on what their platforms and such are. I don't know that to I've to get seen to that. anything
1: anywhere from these. Um, I haven't but either. There and again, unless it's us, where would um, it be seen? Where, where right. Be? <laughs> uh,
0: the Chamber of Commerce does do a candidate tonight for general elections in the fall. But, yeah, it's months uh, but, down but the but road. But I- anything with the primary, that's almost always been the wheelhouse, and the only source of it is from uh, from the uh, this week in the former Northwest News, uh, and that was a particularly was particularly important. Uh, in Hilliard, because we have primaries, very few other municipalities have primaries. So the primary election oftentimes served as a de facto general election, because you would have all the candidates in the primary, and the the general election would be uncontested. Right there were no Democrats even ran in Hilliard City Council from like 1994, 1996 until uh, 2018. There were, I mean, Cynthia Vermillion was the first Democrat elected in like two decades it was elected. Uh, you go back to when Paul Burkett and Norm Putney were on city council before you had Democrats on city council.
1: It's true. Uh,
0: Tina Katone got elected, so now there's two Democrats on council. Uh, Cynthia is up for re-election, uh, along with uh, Pete Marsh and Omar Tarazi. Uh, only two other candidates filed on the Democrat side, so uh, Cynthia and uh, Greg Betts and Emily Cole will be the three Democrat candidates in the general election but there are four candidates seeking the republican uh, nomination so one of them will go home <laughs> after and this primary after this primary and it well, could be one of two incumbents i'm sorry in the unlikely event that one of the republican incumbents did not succeed in the primary they're still on city council until the end of the year uh so the republican um the four republican candidates are uh, pete marsh omar Chirazi, uh jt isseldyke i um, a 2018 graduate of Bradley, uh, J.T. Isseldijk, and uh, Greg St. Clair. So the four of them will be on the May 2nd ballot for Republican City Council. Check your polling, Check your polling locations. Absolutely. Be- I don't know if anything else is even on the ballot. I'm not aware of any state issues uh, or even liquor options. So I don't know. That might be the only thing to go to the polls for on May 2nd in Hilliard is if you are a registered Republican. Mm. Um,
1: Well, I can't really think that anything else is going to come up out of that, except uh, do you think the stances taken by Pete Marsh and Omar in this latest council meeting, kind of being at odds, is going to be any kind of larger signifier for local voters?
0: I think it might be. I mean, I think Pete's statements indicate that, as far as he's concerned, city council should have a hands-off approach when it comes to a city manager. That's who we pick. That's our city manager. Let her manage the city. We don't need to micromanage her um, It would seem from Omar and Les's comments that, you know, they have a little more of an interest. Hey, we hired you. You're under contract with us. We are want to know a little bit more about what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, I think this firing of Dave DeLandy showed and revealed those two differing viewpoints onto what what a relationship between a city council and a city manager is.
1: I think the synthesis is obviously accepting that systems, you're in government. It's a system designed to meet the needs of the people, right? So the synthesis here is that these two candidates that are positioned to be in this primary, you know, looking to be reelected, obviously... Uh, emblematize two different trains of thought and I think that Marsh's thought is that this is a system and we have roles within the system as the city manager has a role within the system Mm -hmm. and a lot of that is the professionalization of practices, Mm -hmm. services HR uh, everyday issues Mm -hmm. these things that should have happened always um haven't happened ever and now there is culture shock and Mm -hmm. there is pushback about that and that's forcing people to ask genuine questions about well is this really what we wanted or do we have buyer's remorse based on outcomes but i say from my point of view is that this is a reformer's process right if you're not going to buy into a reformers process don't vote on changing the form of government sure the <clears throat> city manager is however many years overdue as a concept for a city of our size and you know a suburb in our position
2: sure unfortunately that's well yeah, and i mean maybe what i'm saying maybe is so. exactly
1: yes tim you're 100% right because i was personally against it because mm-hmm. it takes away an elected position an elected position that people have more, say, and influence over. But the structuralist interpretation is that whether or not people have, say, and influence over a position, the structure of the underlying government wasn't any good. It wasn't doing what it needed to do in the ways that it needed to do it, so it needed to change. So what we're seeing here is maybe some pushback
2: on the change in form of government Saying, Oh, we don't like this that much, perhaps, and saying, Oh, we need to we need to uh pull back on the reins or exert the influence we have and then you have some other people that were like, This is what we're trying now. That decision got made years that, ago. That decision we made a while back, it's time to move forward and let her buck.
1: Yeah, the 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 fruit is still not even ripe. You know, right. we're still in those early stages of a, a huge governmental change like that. So I mean, I right. I believe in uh, government. I believe in systems and structures that can be recurring and help people connect. The problem that seventy five people that showed up to support Dave Delandy on Monday had was that they felt disconnected from the process and they heard a version of events and all these things didn't add up to making sense so it leads to a city council meeting that runs X number of hours that has an unprecedented vote where they waive attorney-client privilege on the part of a whole city so that they can talk about it in open session like those kind of decisions that shows we still have a long way to go because those kind of situations shouldn't happen we should have a structure built so that people can be more in tune with that stuff So the people can be more uh, tied into how this system works.
2: I think in the early stages, I mean, ideally those kinds of situations shouldn't happen. But when they do, we need to make sure we understand what's happening, what the ideas uh, are that are coming into it that are causing people to act and and say the things that they do and sort of gain an understanding of, hey... Uh, this is what we're going for and so these things aren't going to fly anymore Yes. and uh, there's going to be some adjusting as people get used to those ideas we're doing th- we've decided to do things differently and, and stuff is going to shake out and some of it's going to hurt
1: <laughs> yep
2: and so that's what we're learning now
1: it's going to be a lot different going to be a lot different.
2: And the more more on top of things we as a community are, the better we're going to be able to handle it. The better we're going to be able to guide things in a direction that keeps things civil, that makes sure people's opinions are heard and felt. But that we understand, hey, we're moving in a direction this is going to kind of be how it is and there are and there are uh, you know there are gains and losses to be had when you take any any particular direction. Again, I think it's why it's so important for us to be kind of observing and and contextualizing these kinds of things. And it's important you know for a kerfuffle to occur to understand.
1: Yo, you see it happen, you see it play out like this. It's right there in front of you, right there in front of you, laid right out. In the upcoming general elections, I'm sure the coverage will mature a little bit. It's a more developed cycle, and things have a more uh, procedural timeline. And it's not based yep. on whether or not people decide to seek the office. It's going to happen. It's There's seats up, and it's it's got to be done. So, uh, what is it, three, right? You said Pete, yep. Omar, and Cynthia this year? That's who's up for
0: re-election, on yes. The,
1: yeah, so three seats... This is a. And there'll be three
0: three Republicans and three Democrats seeking those three open seats.
1: Right. So, again, another uh, potential curve in the road for how these issues that we've been discussing will play out into the future based on the people sitting in those council chairs. So, we'll be here hopefully to bring you more of that info and insight. And uh, we hope to see you back here next week for another uh, audio companion. We're going to toss quickly now to an interview that Tim and I did where we sat down with Matt and Jody from Pop-Up Pickers Club to talk about the upcoming Agora Market here on April 29th uh, at the warehouse. Uh, We are excited to welcome 40 brand new vendors to Hilliard, offering vintage goods, maker goods, stuff that has been taken off the pile of pop culture history and things that have been made yesterday and put right in front of you today. So... Stop out on Saturday, if you can, please, here on Franklin Street and join us for that. And now we'll cut to that interview. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Hilliard Beacon Audio Commandion Supplemental. I've waited my whole life to say that. That's like saying Captain's Log Supplemental. (laughs) I just got to do it. But I am Jordan Smith, and we are joined today by my good friend. Hello, I'm Tim Hoffman. Tim Hoffman from The Coffee Mess and other local ventures, Franklin Street Creative. And we are joined by, everybody take a collective deep breath, (gasps) representatives, founders, and uh, principals of the Pop-Up Pickers Club, Jody and Matt. Jody, Matt, introduce yourself. Say hi. Hello. Hello. Hey, welcome in. Welcome in. Guys, we are here today because you and I and us together, collectively, are doing a thing this weekend. On Saturday, uh, you have graciously offered to help us bring a a market to Hilliard we're very excited to do so that sounds great it's one of those things that last year we worked hard we brought together our friends our acquaintances people that we knew locally that could bring a a great showing uh, to what we call the Agora Market here on Franklin Street Uh, this year we decided that the best way to put ourselves ahead of this game to take the next step was to talk to people that were exploring this space that were already working to develop it right and that were being successful in it and that kind of put us in contact with matt and jody uh from pop-up pickers club and these guys have been moving around columbus for the last what two years now year and a half uh, just the, over a year just the market mm-hmm itself is we're just past a year right now just you know? past a year it yeah. feels like i must have been one of the uh lucky early guys that saw you on instagram yeah mm-hmm. but yeah, it feels so. like i've been following you folks for a long time and seeing how it's all come together has been really exciting and i'm so excited to have you here as part of this thing this year um so jordan a, yeah, lot, a sorry, lot of people me, me.
2: a lot of people aren't
1: familiar with the agora Oh, yeah, we should do a little table setting real quick while we've got a captive audience.
2: Right, so last year, Jordan had the idea that we would put on public events in the space around our spot on Franklin Street, and we would bring in people that we knew, uh, people who were just getting started, trying to hang out a shingle for themselves. And so uh, for us, last year, um, we put on... Four events, yes, and invited. Just starting from scratch.
1: Yeah, I think on average we were like fifteen to twenty vendors, and, and a lot done. of that was like, "Oh, my kids are selling lemonade," you know. And there was right, right. some elements of that too. But yeah, it there was, was fun. definitely it was a it was a loose, wild kind of thing that we just threw together.
2: Yeah, and so we had people that we know from Hilliard, like Jen Honing, a Little Bean yeah. Embroidery. Um, the people who live
1: across the street showed up for the yes. second one. Yeah, and I hasten to add that is not in any way to diminish anybody's craftsmanship. No, no. no. It was just one of those things where it was more a judgment on us. Uh, not being able to properly harness people's ability to come together and do the thing. But this year, I feel like we're, we're taking positive steps in an organizational direction.
2: Right, so we started a, a market from scratch yeah. with the people that we could get in touch with and get to show up. Sure. And Jordan had the idea this year to, well, why don't we go to, why don't we level up by bringing people in who are already good at this? Yes. And so that is, uh, you know, I... We
3: caught your eye. Well,
2: when he he mentioned to me, I'm going to see a pop-up pickers club will come in and do... uh, The vendor group. Do the vendor group for Agora. I was like, A... Well, good luck getting them because they <laughs> apparently know what they're doing. B, it was like, wow, that would be so much easier than trying to reinvent the invent the wheel here, which we did for three
1: of those events, yeah. with some success. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Everybody from a vendor perspective really enjoyed the time spent. Mm-hmm. They felt like we needed to do a better job of connecting the corridor. You know, there were all sorts of things that didn't quite come together from those perspectives, but from the space, from the potential, from the environment, right down to the day of execution, everything came off, uh, in my my estimation. You know what I'm proudest of from those
2: events is that was the first step out into public for... Uh, Lisa with her Amora, mm. uh-huh.
4: body Amora
2: body yep. yeah. yeah that her first event was our event that's yeah. awesome
4: that, that's always great we love it to, we love to get vendors started off like that
2: yeah and Karis from Bears Bagels mm. who is absolutely blowing up his first you know step out into public was right in this parking lot sure yeah.
1: I'm awesome. so
2: proud of him and how yeah, all wrong, the connections yeah. he's made have blown up I was at the Fusion pop up market last week the 420 market mm-hmm. and watched him blow through his oh, entire yeah. stock of bagels. They yeah.
3: sell quick, yeah. 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 So-
2: well, once you taste the bagels... Mm-hmm. I'm from, <laughs> from Jersey. Those bagels are legit and I am
0: picky. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that, that kind of gets us to an interesting point, which I think is a great opportunity to turn more to Matt and Jody and say these markets are a new environment where people seem to be coming together and starting from different places. Mm. Uh, Previously you would see people get a slot in a mall or a or a kiosk or something like that, but now there's a drive to be even more DIY. And what is your perception of that? Because you guys have been standing kind of like on that, you know, to use a particular Uh, Analogy, a nerdy analogy, a very nerdy analogy as I'm sitting next to toy collectors. You've been astride that giant sandworm of changing economic conditions. And you're dealing with people that are wildly talented. You're dealing with people that are wildly creative and they're trying to get their foot in the door. What is that like for you guys? What is that like to be in that environment? Uh, It's a big question and it's amazing.
4: Um, yeah, yeah, when we got started, um, we had a couple of friends that we had grown close to over the course of our outdoor market experience, which was
1: really only about a year or a year and a half before. And this was when you guys were mostly toy focused. This was when you guys were, as a vendor, toy focused. We so were
3: toy focused, but also had recently gotten into like vintage clothing and mm-hmm. uh, like antique items and some jewelry stuff. And so we were looking for outlet to sell it, and we ended up finding um, a market and meeting people.
1: Okay, so you're in there in the scrum as an individual vendor, as a, group, as a sure. pair. Sure, sure. It's a yep. vendor group. Yep. But what is that Damascus moment where it goes from participating to organizing, participating to structuring?
4: Yeah, that... Um,
3: We've always wanted to have our own event.
4: Yep, that's mm-hmm. been developing for quite some time. Um, To take you back a little bit further, about, I'd say about eight to 10 years ago, we were mostly flea market people. Mm -hmm. So, um, to those who might not know what that is, uh, we would hit every single flea market and yard sale and thrift store and um, basically fill up the car and go and buy and sell at. Shifting and moving,
1: shifting and moving in volume and specific taste and.
4: Well, we didn't really have any, like, Specific focus at the time, but then we uh, ran into a nice little collection of vintage toys, and so then that kind of took us down a path of the of getting into trade shows. And as soon as we started doing trade shows, that really piqued my interest of having my own event or show of some sort.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, that higher level of organization, that next yeah, right,
4: right. So I started kind of taking it in a little bit, like okay, I like this aspect of this show and I like this aspect of this market and I like this, you know, I like the way this person does this and so really I just kind of started pulling things from here and there of all of the different things that I liked and maybe didn't like and um, it had been growing and growing and then all of a sudden we found the outdoor markets and um, the outdoor markets have quite the different... uh, Vibe, and uh, we we love it. We fell in love. It was a puzzle piece that we never knew that uh, was missing, and
3: uh, especially after the pandemic, um, it was kind of like outdoors. So it was um, everyone was cool to hang out together, and so it was like a community that you didn't know that you were missing until you were in it. And
1: uh, right, right, and the outdoor aspect gave you essentially a different license than going to a party or going to something that was an indoor collection or a stadium show or a concert or something where there were different risks involved of course sure. but those outdoor markets let people have an outlet and people embrace that sure. outlet something like you said they didn't know they were missing until they uh, were experiencing it and then they realized how uh, vital it could be how vital a part of the thing it could be so right. That's cool. That's yeah. that's an interesting point because I think that there's there's that moment of deciding that the the waters behind the dam have become too great, and I have to give my shot to this. I have to right. try, right? Uh, you know, and it helps that you know you've got a, a a partner in the enterprise that also feels that pull of like I feel this direction, you know. And when you have someone who's going, yes, yes. You know, Tim and I have stared at each other across tables over the years to greater and lesser degrees of success, but the point of being able to say yes to each other and say we're going to explore this is that final opening of the door. It's that final getting out of your own head, getting out of your own ideas about how things could be, and getting someone else to believe so much in how things should be that they decide to take steps to make it real right so from the time you decided to do that to the time the first market came together as pop-up pickers club take us through a little bit of that
4: that was about a six to an eight month process
1: we um had had some struggles in the beginning um had good connections but people can be provincial about Vendors well, and taking markets, especially
3: new things. People kind of are like, "I'm not really sure."
4: It, it, the struggles didn't come as much from the vendors because we got a lot of like a lot of people are ready to very, work are very willing to get out there and and, and put themselves out Sorry, there. So this. there there wasn't any lack of vendor participation necessarily. It was just about getting. venue spot yeah. and we we had our eye I we had our eye on Westerville and nobody had been doing anything in that area what is known as an outdoor pop-up market is a very known thing more down on campus uh, OSU campus or Downtown,
1: or if you get out on these highways, you look off to the left or the right, and there's a flea, or, and then a flea, right. and then you're like, Okay, I get right, it. But right. you know, these entrenched in suburban communities, or you know, up and down in suburban communities, a little bit of a new thing. So, I wanted to bring it to Westerville, I
4: felt it was an untapped market that could really use such a thing. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, we just asked a couple of people that we felt mm-hmm. that would. Help us get kicked off, and like you said, they just said yes, and so then that gave us the power to be able to continue to search. And luckily enough, uh, one of my buddies owns a business that's close to Uptown Westerville, and he offered up his um, parking lot. And
3: shout out Robin Tech. Yeah, shout out to Robin,
4: <laughs> Robin Tech and Joe.
1: Nice. And, I, uh, I tell you, you know, a little bit of institutional, even just largesse, like even just the like, hey, no problem. Mm. A little bit of that institutional buy-in, you give people that are ready to do it that ability to get their foot in the door. Mm. That's yep. all you really need. So, hey, they, so they, gave you the some, they gave you some space.
4: Yeah, yeah. yeah they allowed yeah. us a, our first one. Um, we had about 20 or so vendors. Um, I, it seems like a blink of an eye between now and then. Um, it just blew up. We and even
3: had on our first event, like a weather issue. We had to reschedule for the following day. Hmm. And even then, we still had an incredible, strong participation of people and turnout. showed yep, up, yeah. Yep. And everyone was loving it. They're like, oh, what's this? This is new. Oh, cool. And so, yeah, it just started we, blowing up.
4: We got to um,
1: two or three under the belt, and then we were able to approach Otterbind. Um, yeah, talk a little bit about Otterbine. What a role that. that a public commons essentially because it's a university right but it's available for people to put on things like this so tell us a sure. little bit about otter
4: well we we really wanted to do something in uptown westerville area that is for some reason in my mind as a good spot for us so we are uh you know as we're looking and searching through all the loopholes and red tape that we have to go through and it was uh it was it was going to be difficult. So what yeah, we wanted to do. there was a lot of like
3: permits and things you had to get a lot of ahead of time, and we didn't really have like that time to dedicate to it. So we started looking up, about like more private property or mm-hmm. whatever, and um, we landed on Otterbone.
4: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, we uh, saw that they have space out for rent, and um, so we went and talked to them and basically convinced him. He he, admittedly took a chance on us, and um, he allowed us to have a, our first event there, I think sometime in, I, I want to say, mid-summer last year. And um, it, it kicked off great. Everybody absolutely loved that venue, and it provides a lot of uh, relaxing atmosphere it's that like lots is... Lots of shady
3: trees There's something to sidewalks. the
1: idyllic nature of a... College campus quad, where there are tents and friendly people offering their things for sale. Yeah, yeah. it's just like, oh, this is good. Utterly, yeah. utterly delightful. <laughs> yeah, just <It's laughs> delightful. Exactly. Yeah. And then when you had to move inside for winter months and stuff, they were able to provide a facility yeah. that was suitable and everything else too, so you didn't lose that connection with that community you developed. That's mm-hmm.
3: that was a, that's a, a lot of it to get us through the winter is um, keep our momentum going. It, continuing to have the
4: events it was also very important for us to provide a situation for all of these vendors to be able to make ends meet throughout the winter because we know as vendors that that's that's when it's the toughest Seasonality you, know, you he plays a role yes. right you got Christmas but I mean Outside
1: of that, it's it's rough, <laughs> and you know a lot of these vendors are dependent on mechanisms for say Christmas sales that aren't recurrent public markets with front facing ability to sell directly to people. You know you have to have developed internet sales portals. You have mm-hmm. to have the ability to ship. It
3: can be tough when things. you're first starting out.
0: Yeah. So sure. those
1: are difficulties that are mitigated by being able to come together in a, in a local place that you mm-hmm. can bring a lot of different people to, and I think the. The good thing with a, a place like Otterbein is they recognize that um, you know, a public commons where people can come together and do this kind of stuff is a good, not a nuisance, right. and they continue to encourage and develop it and let you guys develop it, so that's really, that's great. It's important to find those,
2: life happens in the interstices, we have so many, there's so many rules all over the place. That it's important for when you're trying something new that a lot of people aren't already doing, you gotta find the you gotta find the gray areas where what you're doing isn't
1: explicitly regulated. Right, or right. the partners that can help you break through, like an Otterbein as mm-hmm. an institution that has very good public accessibility, like transport, walkable, mm. student body, like all these things sure. that they say, yeah, we'll take a chance, quote-unquote. Right. You right. know you know what you bring. You know mm-hmm. you're not shady or in any way bringing a negative reputation or anything, but you get an institutional partner, somebody that takes some of that weight off of you, in the same way that you know we were hinting around a little bit earlier, but when I said I wanted to do another season of this, it was only through the lens of wanting to try to find people who knew how to better execute, knew how to better satisfy and help the people that were participating as vendors, fulfill their aspirations for the thing Right. Like I think that was the big part for me, is that I wanted to talk to people that knew more um, how to manage everybody how to manage those relationships, and you guys seem to have a good formula for that, the Mm -hmm. size of your vendor group speaks to that, and the recurrence of the the people that want to come back and be a part of it And, you know, I think it's great because there are a lot of people that were part of the original Agora that have asked and that have wanted to join up. And, you know, when you guys explain to those people the membership, the per-event structure, and how all this stuff fits together, it seems to make a great deal of sense to everybody and how you can keep things organized, structured, simple, fair, honest, and create something that people want to come back to again and again. So, what was your first indication that this was actually working or not working, and you needed to make adjustments? Uh,
4: I mean, I'd be lying if I said anything other than right after the first one. Yeah, I I was going to say that too. With it getting postponed, and then it still turning out the way it did, it was just uh, felt that kiss on your forehead. Yeah, 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 it was just pure joy. I mean, um, so and then. Really, there's just been, every, <laughs> nearly every step of the way, I, there's just been something that gets added here and there. Um, recently, we just started having uh, open mics so that bands can come in and play, and that's just That's that, definitely set us up a little bit. Yeah, People we, we are
3: reporting good feedback of um, that it's great vibes just yeah. to have any music playing and stuff. Right. So We're well, also uh, helping small bands get known
1: sure absolutely you know if you can come out and put on a performance for 30 minutes hour 40 minutes oh i have more of those highlights if you want another one of those um you know i think it's uh i think it's mostly a testament to um creating that environment again that environment where you can bring in different elements say live music okay maybe on these we'll have live music for two hours and then we'll put on uh, PA music, and then we'll have this, and then we'll have that, and people will evolve through these things. What are some of the things that you guys, as promoters, as people that put on these events, have felt? Uh, I don't know. Like, what are some of the what are some of the flare flash details you like to put on something that says like, oh, you know, show up at this time, uh, be here now. You know, what are what are some of the ways you create that sense of urgency around coming to do a thing? whether it's from participating as a vendor or coming out to see what's on offer?
4: I'm not sure. Um, I guess it's fair to say that a lot of that falls on the vendors. So what we'll do is kind of nudge them to continuously promote and to get to their people because everyone, I shouldn't say every one of these people, but most of these people that vend with us have a particular following that come to wherever they go to to have their market. You know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. there's tons of these markets to do, and when they're not having a market, they're probably selling online to local people. Right. Um, so there's there's a lot of a lot of them that have their own followings. So we you know get them in a group chat and nudge them to. Um,
3: like, post photos of what they'll have for sale or share the flyers. Right, or right.
4: Share all of their content that they have. You cross-posting know, do, and
1: co-promoting and right, mixing right. these groups right. together showing so that they can mass and come out for the actual event. Right, yeah.
4: showing everybody that you're embracing all of their stuff and not just there to collect their money and have a market, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think goes a long way. You know, there's being entrenched within the community itself being resellers, I think has, has a lot to, a lot of pull.
1: Sure. You know, and everybody that's kind of participating in that reseller environment understands some of the variables that everybody else is working with, you know, whether it's pricing or sourcing or any of that stuff. So, you know, like you guys were talking about earlier before we went on, um, a lot of it is, as you said, on the vendors, kind of seeing as the group comes together for any particular event, what the flavor of that event may or may not be like where the where the intensity behind certain concentrations of oh this one seems to be particularly heavy in toys or this one seems to be particularly heavy in vintage clothing or you know a, a artisan craft goods or something like that because mm-hmm. I've started to notice that a lot of that stuff's becoming more and more represented uh, in the vendor group. So what about that element of it? What's the what's the progression of who's showing up and who's? who's consistently um, collaborating.
4: In an aspect of how I curate the market? Or well,
1: I mean, I know it's all, and that's the thing behind having a large vendor group. It's nice to kind of let them stir the pot essentially based on, hey, I've got a collection together and I'm ready to sell, or I've got you know, a focus on mm-hmm. this for this season and I'm going into that. Um, I don't know I, if this answers your question, but a lot of it kind of depends on what I was saying
4: earlier about having there's so many of these other markets to do, and a lot of them are focused on either what that person does, like vintage uh, clothing or um, rocks and crystals. Rocks and crystals or, you know, a lot of these people have specific trade shows that they go to, whereas mm-hmm. Pop Up Pickers Club is an eclectic group and that's embracing all of these sellers into one. Right. So, we don't really feel too bad if they have these other shows that they need to go and do. Right. So that the each market kind of curates itself in that way because you know not everybody is available. Right. And then you know I kind of hold uh, X number of spots depending on how many people we can fit in for each genre. Mm-hmm. You know, so that kind of
1: constantly evolving, but around a central group of uh, a core group of providers essentially you know you're looking for this level of commitment from uh four or five of these type of vendors four or five of these type of vendors you know to right, get right. a balance together
4: yeah i try not to overload one market with you know all vintage or all artists because that could happen if i just do like first come first serve right you sure. know what i mean so sure. we just kind of there's a little element sure of curation
1: right in here
2: yeah some curation. what's interesting when you get this number of vendors together is when the vendors start to get to know one another yes. understand what other people are doing and that sort of helps uh, individual vendors kind of niche down into what their strengths are. Absolutely. This is something that I noticed I've been going to fountain pen shows for years and so what happens at these shows is someone will come up and say
1: I'm a lamy guy or I'm a or I'm a certain nib... I'm a nib guy.
2: I'm a, what happens is...
1: I know a few terms. Right? I'm
2: looking for this pen with this... in this range, price range, this nib configuration, that kind of thing. Someone will come up to you and ask that. And you'll be like, oh, well, you need to go talk to Tom Bailey because he's right. the Pelican guy. Or you need sure. to go and you sure. need to talk with... Uh, you know, John, because he's the right. flexi guy, or right. go talk
4: to to Paul. You, you don't know how much that is is so real for us in our market. We everyone is so supportive of each, of each other, mm-hmm. and that's that's definitely one of the biggest reasons that we have dove so
2: hard into this world. Um, yeah,
3: everyone's so kind and nice. And- the
2: joy, the joy of service, even when all you're doing is sending someone right where they need to go. Yeah. To a vendor that can really take care of them and will greatly appreciate that that reference. Mm-hmm. Sure. That cooperation is such a big part of these kinds of grassroots ground level events right. where we are here to make sure so that the people that show up not only find what they're looking for, but are taken care of by people who don't necessarily have a direct interest in the transaction that's about to take place. Sure, yeah. sure, and it's all trickles down. If, if, if we present
4: it that way, the vendors feel that way, the customers feel that way, they're all gonna go and tell
2: everybody about it and the next one's gonna be even better. People want so badly to be part of a supportive community that's looking out for each other And, like, understands what you're looking for. And even if it's not me that takes care of you, I want to make sure you're taken care of. I want to make sure you find what you need. And I know this other person over here who does exactly what you're looking for. And I'm so pleased to send you directly to them. So much of that happens. So much of that happens. It's
3: especially important now and in these days because I feel like when I go out in public to, like, the grocery store or whatever... Everyone's so like closed and like r- almost rude, you know, and it's difficult to.
1: Everybody's got their teeth. Yeah, clenched. it's
3: difficult to like speak to someone or be friendly or have a community in that way. So, these markets, it, like everyone is just ready. Right,
1: people having their hackles up and their armor on is such mm-hmm. a is such the a, nice a thing m- about a market is that it's it it knits the two things together the pre capital Communal vibe where you're you're understanding each other's operations. You know the relationships you've met with each other over time. You've developed trust, etc., etc. Uh, but then it also hedges into oh, we also have the organizational principles to create good uh, practices between groups of people so that there can be fair trade and commerce and everything else. What I want to point out is that these things are always generative. They're always happening. People almost seem geared to embrace them. As soon as people come into these orbits, I want to get deeper. I want to understand more. I want to help more. I want to be more. I want to be involved more. And I think you find that over and over again in all these groups of people coming together to do this kind of thing. What I think is missing is the transition point that exists beyond these things where Three people that come together regularly to do these things create enough of a breakthrough energy to transition to another level of business. What is interesting is that all that means is that because of the negative practices of landlords, exploitative property holders, people that don't want to create meaningful lasting transitions between working conditions of rent versus ownership, people that are against that because they'd rather hold on to that stuff for themselves it precludes those traditional evolutions of business where you go from having a little thing to having a bigger thing because you can't get to the bigger thing it's tougher now than ever to get from where we are or where you are to the bigger thing right so what we need to do is take the opportunity where we're still vital and energetic and competent in creating these things between people in small groups of people. Right.
2: We're and creating we're creating opportunities where people are cooperating
1: but turn those into a new model that doesn't rely on people that already hold all the cards <laughs> to come back to the table. It's right. not even mm-hmm. a new
2: model. It's a it's a very it's the well, no, it's no, the, no. Oldest the oldest model. Yeah. The old
1: the yeah. older models but they've always funneled into these relationships in America
2: what we're of doing property. what we're we doing we
1: need to create the thing where the pipe at the end of where we are now the generative phases the local small collaborative phases output to something that isn't just a rent payer for the next 20 years until everybody dies right, right. what we're <laughs>
2: doing what we want to do is create an opportunity for people to turn their back on that commodified codified
1: those old relationships.
2: Very repressive system. Just, just for an afternoon. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. for the refreshment and, of, of just some voluntary and maybe, cooperation. Maybe
4: just maybe permanently someday. Like, yeah, getting out of may- maybe. Getting I don't know. If, I don't know if that's
2: possible. But we can create pockets. Right. We can create pockets for now yeah. we need to create those pockets and i think it's so cool that we're able to do that for you know a few afternoons here in yeah. in, in the building i've been in for 6 years to be able to create that kind of environment for people what a what a delicious totally, yeah. what a delicious thing to do
1: all the meaningful transition points in my own business donut related have been when i've entrusted more people with more of the process or more of my overall ability to do the donut job. So whether or not it was like somebody else actually doing the physical work, which was tough enough to let go of, or somebody doing the representational work where they're at the counter more, or somebody doing the off-site work, or somebody doing the, you know, the social postings and all these things. You know, it's how quickly I say, you know, way too much. <laughs> it's how quickly you can bring people into the process how much you can trust them how much they want to be a part of it and how willing you are to make it meaningful that that's happening hmm. people can take six months, six years six weeks of somebody's effort pay them a wage and say that's that and there have been times in everybody's life where that's been the shoes you wear and the shoes you put on somebody else Yeah, but uh the great thing about these markets is that everybody that's coming to them has that potentiality to hand something off and take another step you know right. take another move down the path to self ownership to collaboration to a three uh member collective that then turns into a seven member collective that then turns into the next bud food hall or whatever Mm -hmm. right but as long as we only continue to funnel each other into market stalls and someone else's rent agreements Mm -hmm. i think the mission is not fulfilled i agree
3: Hmm.
1: i mean i'm not i'm not trying to recruit anyone to that overall thinking but i think that the structures and the things that we're still good at as people and the things that you guys have proven over time to be really good at at bringing people together bringing exciting creative people together uh, those outputs will eventually seek other outcomes than paying rents yep. yeah and right now there's a track that everybody wants to get on because that feels like actualization right but what i hope is over the course of several years if we can collaborate and continue to work with people that are developing themselves in their enterprise that there will be other potential outcomes that we can get to together
3: seems like there has to be yeah
1: right because doing this coming to the realization that you guys wanted to do markets is a big step yeah. And doing markets is a part of all the stuff ongoing Because it's been part of life Human life mm-hmm. Since time immemorial you know, We call ourselves Agora because that's an ancient Greek term mm-hmm. you know, Relating to some of those first free exchanges That took place uh, In recorded history That are, stick with us today you know, How you bridge the divide Between not knowing someone But being able to come together And exchange And make each other better As a result of that So I'm excited for this season I think it's going to be great You guys have been great collaborators And I hope to continue this collaboration And see what these uh, future days hold But uh, this Friday uh, uh, We've got uh, The last cleaning day set up Then Saturday We are going to be out here Weather permitting Ready to go Mm -hmm. For Pop-Up Pickers Club Exagora from 11 to 5, come April out April 29th, us. 11 to 5. It'll be the happening of the very early and frosty spring season.
4: It'll be a little chilly in the morning, but I think it's going to end up being a nice day. Bring the whole family out. There's going to be live music that starts at 1.
1: Live music at 1. Um, something
0: yeah. for everybody. Something
1: for everybody. Yep. With 40 vendors, guys, i got to tell you, there is some, each one of these booths has something you'll want to walk oh, away with. I went through that Otterbein display (laughs) and at every single vendor, whether it was the guy who had the Bart Simpson choking Saddam Hussein shirt (laughs) or, you know, my little uh, bat fetish doll that I picked up or, you know, some of the other things that are out there, the fresh foods, the, the people that are joining from that side of things, the arts
2: cool vintage uh, clothes. Is the lady with the
1: tentacles and jars coming to this one? Yes. 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 yes! yes! I don't want
2: any of those, but I'm so glad they You exist. know what? are <laughs> out there for everybody. It's
3: very cool stuff. It, it's It, is, so it cool. is creepy, but her she is called Shop Creepy. Yeah, right. the creepy
1: collectibles are real. Just deli- deli- delightful. People love it,
3: yeah.
1: Delightful stuff around it literally every... Literally
3: something for everybody. Yes,
1: yeah. and that is the great thing because each one of these markets has its own character each one of these events is going to be exciting and unique and people are excited to be out here offering what they have uh ready to show off to the community so we hope to see you out here 11 to 5 april 29th and again wink wink hint hint may 20th uh that is the next one we have planned for our next round of events so folks please stop out soon i'm going to wrap up this captain's log uh, by saying thank you to my frequent collaborator Tim, our new friends Matt and Jody from Pop Up Pickers Club. Thank you for joining us today.
4: Totally. Thank you. Thank you. Remember to follow us on Instagram and Pop find, Up Pickers Club. Yep, yeah, Pop Up Pickers Club. Find out which market's coming up next and where we're going to be.
1: Perfect, and you guys should do that as quickly as possible because we've gotten into all these weird shared tools where I have to approve this and then we request that and then we're all doing (laughs) things together online. So the collaborative element of in-person marketing uh, has turned into the collaborative element of online marketing. So folks, we'll see you on the 29th. We return you to our regularly scheduled uh, Hilliard Beacon Audio Companion programming. Thank you so much.